It's been a little bit jumping around here, but we're continuing through our sermon series in the Gospel of John. Gospel means good news. Okay? And there's these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They start off the first... Uh, the, 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 the second part of the Bible called the New Testament. We call them Gospels, the good news. And they're telling the story about Jesus. Good news of Jesus. We're focusing on, on John. We've been going through the book of John here for quite a while. And we're in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you have a Bible or Bible app to follow along, I invite you to jump into that with us here. We want to give you a little bit of a recap a little bit of a read because we've kind of been, you know, with the summer here jumping around all over the place. Uh, Pastor Jose brought the word the last couple of weeks. Isn't it a blessing to have Pastor Jose bring the word? Amen. By the way, if for those who don't know, Pastor Friday and Karen, I've landed. They're safe. They're getting uh, connected in Kenya. So uh, uh, already the ball's rolling down there. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord there. And, and as well as the Armstrongs in Alaska. So recap, to try to bring us up to speed here, John has shared us, with us about the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, pointing to, undeniably, Jesus is more than a man, more than a good man, more than just a prophet uh, of God to teach us God's word and his ways. Jesus is God. All the evidence is there. Jesus has had, now in his final days, even hours with his disciples, beginning in chapter 13. Jesus has recently explained to his disciples, I'm going to leave. Now they've come to realize that they come to see like he is, he's the savior. This is the one sent by God. Who's going to be the king and lead us out of oppression and, and, and slavery and, and, and to restore us. And Jesus says, I'm leaving. And he explains that, that it's better that he leaves. And in fact, his disciples are going to continue the works that he's already started. How, how will this kingdom grow? How will it continue? If he's not here, it's because we, his disciples, are going to build the kingdom. We're going to do greater works, more work than he's capable of doing as a human being. He's going to go to the Father and he's going to send us the Holy Spirit. This introduces us to this crazy, mind-blowing truth that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. That Jesus is going to send His Spirit to fill us in order to do His works. He's going to live inside of us. His power He's going to give us so we can continue to do His work. Now, to make this understandable, Jesus goes into an illustration in John 15 using a grapevine, talking about vines and branches and, 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 and how are the disciples supposed to experience God in them, the power of God living through them to change the world. How is this supposed to happen? And so he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. And that's where we've been in the last several weeks here. And looking at what does it mean to abide and remain in Jesus. So if what we come to today is unpacking Jesus' statement that the Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. You get a lot of work done. 
When you think of increasing productivity, you think of how do we stimulate that? How, like, how do we encourage that? How do we go about creating more and getting more out of people? I mean, not that we want to use them, right? You wouldn't want to ever do that, right? And we've all been part of jobs and corporations and places, and, 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 and uh, uh, there's, there's always this need, in, in the United States especially, we are driven by productivity. We want to make more with less, right? We want to do that. How do we, how do we increase productivity? A natural way for us in this life is through like incentives and rewards. Have you been, ever been part of a job that's experienced like incentives or rewards, right? To put out there to, to try to increase productivity, when I was a, um, a family therapist back in Nebraska, I worked for an agency called Mid Plains Center. In Mid Plains Center, we had, we had quotas. So we had metrics. We had numbers that we were supposed to meet in terms of amount of counseling sessions I was supposed to have in order to maintain my salary. But there's more. As the carrot kind of was dangled out there, if you, if you do so many sessions, then your, your, your pay per session increases. If you travel more, oh, we'll give you a car. There were incentives, there were rewards for doing more and being more productive and, 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 and getting ahead. And, and they encouraged that with their pay and with rewards and accolades and things like that. Now, I, I, don't get me wrong. Incentives aren't bad. Clearly, I'm kind of moving you towards a, a negative kind of thinking around that. Oftentimes, we think in order to get more, I need to earn it. I need to earn it. Jesus flips this on its head. As we're going to see in Jesus Christ, we in, in, he increases our fruit production by doing the work for us. He increases the fruit production By causing us to rest in his finished work for us. So if you haven't turned there, make sure you do John 15, 1 through 11. I'm the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Or remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you may have joy, that you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Holy Spirit.
we ask that you would open our hearts to your word today. And this counterintuitive and, and, and seemingly even counterproductive truth. When we rest in your work, we actually do greater work. Work, Jesus. Work this truth in us. In your name, amen. As we see here in verse 10, Jesus points out, the Father is glorified that we bear much fruit. The question is, how do we get there? We're to bear fruit. Fruit of the kingdom. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're to see that spread into others. How are we to do this? In verse 9, Jesus begins to shift the discussion on what we are to do in terms of abiding and how we do this. He says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is going back to, in this formula, the Father loves me, so I love you. He's going back to the the Trinity here, okay? It's so important. Again, we talked about this. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, this is the blueprint from which God created humanity. This is the blueprint for, for, for social functioning and healthy psychology. All the things are reduced and come back to understanding this mystery called the Trinity. That God is one and yet three persons. And what happens between the Father and the Son is this unending love between them. It's uninitiated, uncaused love that they're both giving freely to each other. Just love and, and, and compassion and commitment and service to each other. It's uninterrupted. It's perpetual. You can go to the next slide. As you can see, even in the the images that we draw of the Trinity, it's this unending kind of of movement, this image. It's the relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's just joy in each other, pleasure in each other, serving each other. And it's not conditional. It's not in a transaction. Oh, He gave to me, so I'm going to give. Jesus is saying, this love, I'm giving it to you. I'm bringing it to you. My love for you is unprompted. Uncaused. You haven't done anything to to, to make me, to draw my attention to you, to cause my affection upon you. I love you because I am love. I want you. It's uncaused. Unprompted. Uninitiated. It is generated in its own self and it doesn't end. This is a beautiful thing. You see, if it was prompted by us, that means it could be stopped by us, right? But because it's not, it's generated within God himself and doesn't end. His love keeps coming after you and me. As we've just sang about. But it's even more than that. It's undeserving. As we know, when when we realize the the goodness of God, that He just keeps coming toward us in kindness and compassion, we see we don't want it. We reject it. We turn away from Him. We want ourselves. We're proud, selfish, 
that doesn't stop his love. His, his love isn't, isn't ignorant of our brokenness, isn't ignorant of our pride and selfishness. No, his love pursues us. It's what makes love love. Love, love doesn't minimize sin. Love doesn't say, you know, I embrace, let's be all-inclusive. It doesn't matter how you live your life. You be you. That's not love, friends. The culture is trying to sell you something that ain't true. And it's just not humanly possible. And it will destroy society. Love doesn't minimize sin. It doesn't minimize immorality. No, in love, our sin magnifies Jesus. It magnifies the greatness of what love truly is and that it's undeserving. Jesus saying, as the Father's loved me, so I love you, has huge implications. And he says, abide in my love. We, we, we have an unending need to be loved by God. This isn't something that's like, oh, it's for weak people. You know, those who are psychologically vulnerable. You know, those, those who, who, who just can't stand on their own two feet, who, who can't pull themselves up by their own boots. No, 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 no. Love isn't like a pacifier that you just grow out of, friends. Love is everyone's need. Love is the, is the, the seed of humanity and grows and produces the fruit of true human flourishing and identity. Love, we never, never grow beyond love. We grow into love. We mature in love. We have a problem of self-sufficiency and self-reliance in our, in our culture where, where, where we think that we grow out of it. And it's something for our kids, again, or weak or vulnerable, but no, friends, no, 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 no. You will never, never become a human being, never fully realize what it means unless you grow deep, deep, deep in love. In his love. I want to break down this love just a little bit more here. John later writes a smaller letter explaining what does it look like to live love practically. Now that Jesus is gone, what does it look like for us now to live in love? And, and he says this. Go to the next slide. This is love. Not that we loved God. Remember, like it didn't start with us. It started with him. But that he loved us. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This word is also in some translations translated propitiation. That's just a big word meaning that he satisfied the justice of God. In love, this is where, where, where we, we step into that place where we don't deserve it. Our sin, our brokenness, our selfishness, our pride unconsciously in our thought life, in our actions towards others, all of it, it deserves justice. And God created an, an alternative. Not that we would have to suffer that, that, that justice of God in, the, in hell, but it could be satisfied by Jesus. That Jesus would come and he would satisfy the penalty of, of our sin. Back in Jesus' time, when you uh, committed a crime, when you're convicted of a crime, 
and you, you had to do your time. And you were taken to prison. And, you know, just kind of like our courts to some degree today, you would have uh, 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 your sentence of how, how you'd have to pay off your debt to society. And you would serve time. You, 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 and, and, and you were a slave. You were put to work. You had to work it off. And you had no life. Everything was taken away from you. But when that, when that sentence was fulfilled, there was, a, there, was, there was a phrase that was stamped or, 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 or it, was, it was put on your cell to tell us die. To tell us die. It's a phrase that means it's complete. Paid in full. And that prison door would open and that person would be free because they paid their debt. On the cross, Jesus cries out in his final words, to tell us die. And our words, it's translated in your scriptures, it is finished. It is finished. You, each of us have a debt. We, have, we owe the justice of God that must be paid. But instead of us paying it off, Jesus paid it for us. And on Jesus and, and in him, he says, it's complete. Paid in full. Here, right now, I have paid it for you. You don't have to work it off. You don't have to earn it. I did it all. I did it all. Paid in full. It is finished. What we struggle with is our response to this. We don't, we don't receive this. We don't rest in this. We, we struggle to receive. It is finished. I can rest. I don't have to earn his favor and his love. I am loved. It's paid. There's two typical responses that we have in this. The first is out of this insecurity that we try to add to the cross. We try to add to what Jesus has done. With yes, thank you for your love. You are great. But then, but then, we beat ourselves down. We feel like the work of Jesus is isn't enough. I need to add to it, and so we beat ourselves down. Worthless. There's all kinds of tapes that you run through your head, and you you tell yourself, "Look at your failures." And, and, or, or, or we try to tip the scales, right? We, we, we try to add to what Jesus has done. And we try to like, with our goodness, like if I just, if I'm just, if I just serve the Lord enough, if I just kind enough, if I do mission, if I, if I, in, in the scriptures, if I'm reading the word, 
we try to find ways that we balance the scales with our goodness. Lord, let me help you. Or some of you are still just trying to outrun your past. It just it haunts you. And to each of these things, Jesus is saying, Son, daughter, it's finished. Just rest in me. The work is done for you. I, I've been perfect for you. I paid the penalty for you. You don't have to keep paying your penalty. Put down the club. Stop striving. Just rest in my love. Receive it. The other side of this. Let me just go back here. Some of you, you're struggling because you, the tapes of the past, the voices of the past, they keep playing in your head. And, and, and we're tempted to feed that. And it's going to take time, friends. But take hold of Jesus' words for you. We've got to replace those lies from the past, that poison from the past that keeps you striving. It's not enough. You're never enough. You're not beautiful. You're not loved enough. It's more. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. No, those are lies. You've got to actively take hold of the truth. No, it's finished. It's finished. I'm a performance-based person and i grew up i did a lot of self-destructive stuff from sexual issues to 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 vandalism and and substance abuses and 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 just all kinds of junk in my life and 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 in coming to christ trying to overcome that trying to make up for that when i first started in christ it was this just this striving and and i and 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 it generated a lot of anxiety in me And a part of it relates to my own home life and the scripts in my family. And to this day, I have to actively come to Jesus and receive. It's finished. I don't have to work. Because it's done. It's so good. When I stop striving. We've got to fight for it. To take hold of that truth and to replace the past. Some of you, some of us respond not with insecurity towards the work of Jesus, but with self-sufficiency. We've received, we, we, we believe what we received. We've, we've claimed a, a relationship with Jesus Christ or his work for us. But we have this kind of arrogance about us. That I'm kind of entitled to the work of Jesus for me. And it comes out in looking down on others. Well, if they were, if they were just, if they would just get with it, you know, if they would just work harder, if they just get her done, we, this kind of arrogance and self-sufficiency just continues to promote this performance-based kind of religion. And it ends up being riddled with hypocrisy comparison to others and and i'm justifying myself before god because i'm not as bad as somebody else in fact some of you may even be now like thinking of other people who should be listening to this message 
Because we in our self-sufficiency, we believe that we're, we're better off. Because we've arrived, or we believe the right things, or we do some of the right things. And Paul gives us the right perspective in our relationship with Jesus. And it's radical. And these are his words. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying, he says there. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Paul's not saying this from a place of insecurity. He's not wallowing in some kind of, uh, 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 of depression and, 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 and self-deprecation here. He's acknowledging the greatness of God's love because I know how bad, how broken I am, how much I need him. And he loves me. And he keeps coming at me. And he keeps filling me and pursuing me. And it's so good. The worst of sinners. We need the love of Jesus. You see, what we're going to get to here next is when we rest in the work of Jesus for us, the finished work, when we rest in his love, when we receive his love, it produces a productivity in us that is unnatural. You know the difference. We, we taste a little bit of this when, when in our relationship with our kids or even maybe teachers with your, with, with your students or, 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 or in relationships with others. Those who are motivated by love will sacrifice, right? Those who are motivated by love give freely. Jesus loving us Start something fresh and new in us where we respond with love to God and obedience. If you keep my commands, verse 10, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. There's a natural response when we have been overwhelmed by undeserving love of gratitude, right? There's this humble gratitude and and we want to to give we want to respond out of love not because i need something from god but because i want to give him something that's a totally different response right like i i god i need your blessings god i need i need your, your affection your approval god i need from oftentimes too many of us are stuck in that place right Stuck in that place in life. We're looking for things from our job. We're trying, looking for things from our family and our people, uh, our friends. We're, we're, we're insecure. We're, we're... But out of that place of being full in Jesus, the joy, the, the full joy that Jesus has, he gives us, we're, we're, we're the, the love of God, the finished work of Jesus, where we rest. We give out of gratitude. We give sacrificially because I'm not looking to get something, but I give freely. Imagine what would happen in your marriage where it's motivated by just giving freely to each other and not based on how that other person is treating you or responding to you. And what happens if that both sides, that, that forgiveness, that service and sacrifice, how about work or work? Believers, followers of Jesus should be ridiculous 
employees because we're not there just for a paycheck. We're there to worship Jesus and to bring him honor and glory through our work. And we work out of a place of being full and out of love, not because we're getting our identity through it, because our identity is in Jesus, in the finished work of Christ on the cross. When we rest in the finished work of Jesus, it changes everything about us. Our friendships, our relationships, what we think of our neighbors, our community members. Abide in my love. How do we bear more fruit? In a way, by doing less work. By receiving the finished work of Jesus. As we prepare for communion here, there's a story I want to share that sums this up but also transitions us towards communion. So I want you to think and reflect how are you responding? With the love of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus. For you. Are you humbly. Broken. Receiving it with gratefulness. Or are you stiff arming Jesus. Saying no let me, let me help you Jesus. Lord I need to add to your work. I'm beating myself down. Or I'm trying to balance the scales. Or there's some arrogance there. There's some entitlement there. There's some self sufficiency there. Somehow you've already. You've helped Jesus. You already earned it. Luke 7 records an encounter with a sinful woman who shows up to a dinner she was not invited to. Luke 7, verse 36 is where the story starts. One of the religious leaders invited Jesus over. Jesus comes in. They're lounging. They're eating at the table. One of the things that was part of a kindness, just an expected thing in Mideast or Eastern culture is hospitality. And part of hospitality was that you would wash, you'd ha- or at least have the, the feet of your guests washed and clean from their journey. This was an ex- expected part of hospitality. But you're going to find out that didn't happen. This Pharisee, this is a snub to Jesus. This is dishonoring. But they were lounging at the table. Jesus and his unconditional love continues to dine with him not 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 being offended in comes a woman who's well-known sinner her rap sheet is long she comes in uninvited knowing having heard jesus is going to be here at this house. And she comes in and she brings a, a, a jar with her. And with her tears. She's on her knees. At the feet of Jesus. In this house. It's not even heard. Uninvited. And in this place. This is drawing attention to herself. This would have been very shameful for her. And, and already with the shame of her reputation. And she's on the ground. Washing his feet. With her tears and her hair. And this guy, Simon, who invited Jesus over, is thinking to himself, man, if he knew who was touching his feet, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. Like, he's, he's making himself unclean, dirty, by letting her touch. 
She's a mess. Jesus knows all things and knows his heart and, 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 and what he's thinking. And, 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 he, and, he's, and he expresses to this man, Simon. I want you to consider this, Simon. Certain bank has two people that owes the money. One, a month's salary. One, a year's salary. One, 50,000, you could say. Excuse me. One, 5,000, another 50,000. They both couldn't pay the debt. President of this bank canceled both debts. Canceled. Which one of them would love the banker more? Simon responded, we, we know the logic, you can do the math. The one who, who had a debt of 50 grand was more thankful, loved more. Jesus explains to Simon, you, yep, you're a smart guy, Simon. You got it right. This woman here, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of welcome and greeting and hospitality. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since you got in the room. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. I tell you, this woman has many sins. You already know this. And they've been forgiven. Because she's been forgiven much. She loves much. Whoever's been forgiven little. Loves little. Paul says. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Of whom I'm the worst. If Jesus has not forgiven much in your life. You will not love much. There's not much you're resting from because you're good, self-sufficient, arrogant like Simon. But if like this woman, you realize all that shameful stuff, all the stuff the world would say, reject her, reject him. Look down on them. Hide. It's all. It's forgiven if you come to the cross. As we come to the table here, I want to invite you to reflect. Jesus, with your blood that you shed for the forgiveness of my sins, with your body that you allowed to be broken for me, Jesus, let it shine on every corner and closet and darkness in my life. Jesus, thank you. Name the sins, the unconscious things. Even ask him, Lord, help me realize, help me understand. There is where, where I'm broken. Help me see my pride where you, you love me. Help me see, Jesus, where I'm trying to do the work for you. I need to rest and receive your work for me. 
we come here. Friends, the work of Jesus changes us when we received it. Those who have been forgiven much love much. We should be a people who seek forgiveness frequently and often because we have a need for it. Because not just our need, not because we're shameful, but because his love is so good, friends. So good. His love changes everything. And you may experience some temptations of an enemy, of a voice saying, nope, he can't forgive you for that. That's a lie. Or no, he can't keep forgiving you for that because you keep repeating it. Oh, that's a lie too. Or he can't heal me from what has been done to me. That's a lie. And he covers that too. Receive. Let him pay it all, friends. Let him pay it all. 